I am so excited that we can worship our awesome God together. Praise the Lord for it. No, God is good. He is good all the time, right? And we were thinking about his faithfulness. And also thank you for this beautiful statement in the song, how sweet it is to belong to Jesus and to trust him. Yes, uh, this is sweet. Thank you, Dr. Kuhn, to, for the introduction. And he's our new associate dean now, uh, associate dean interim. So, welcome. And I am so thrilled that we can this morning reflect on the Word of God with the title, Embracing God. Remember that we can embrace God because He first embraced us. We love Him because He first loved us. You know, my conversion story is similar to Martin Luther or Ellen G. White. When I felt, uh, when I was, um, uh, you know, like 13, 14, uh, I felt that I am miserable, I am guilty, I am sinner, I am condemned. And uh, in the midst of that, I discovered amazing God, loving God. And I have to tell you that when I was reading the story of Luther, it was very similar. And then I was uh, reading the story of conversion of Ellen G. White. And in that um, in the conversion story of Ellen G. White, I discovered another side of God. Because um, uh, when uh, she was feeling really guilty, condemned, uh, sinner, she had two dreams. And in the second dream, uh, she saw Jesus. And as his gaze, I am reading now from Life Sketches, page 35, as his gaze rested upon me, I knew at once that he was acquainted with every circumstances of my life. And she was very fearful. And then she writes, but he drew near with a smile. And laying his hand upon my head, said, Fear not! This loving eye of Jesus were still upon me, and his smile filled my soul with gladness. Amen? God is smiling on us. This is why we can smile. God is smiling. This is why we can smile on each other also. So God is embracing us and saying, I love you. But today I, would, I want not to preach so much about how God is embracing us, but how we should in response to embrace him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are here gathered in your name and we are opening your word. Speak to us in mighty way that we follow you faithfully and with joy. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I would like to prove it to you that um, uh, we should embrace God by uh, opening the book which is called in English and should be called in English, Embracing. It's a uh, very unusual prophetical book. Uh, in that prophetical book, um, prophet is not so speaking so much about the future, but about uh, 
the present situation and what the people had to do. Uh, this is uh, a book which has a dialogue with God. Prophetical, but dialogue with God. This, um, this book begins with questions and ends with affirmations. It starts with problems and ends with trust. Start with despair, ends with hope. Start with complaints and end with prayer. The book starts with the word burden. And it was a big burden for that prophet. It's a uh, you know, dialogue uh, with God. This book is so important that the key phrase was taken by Apostle Paul and used three times in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, and also in the book of Hebrews. You now know which book I have in mind, right? Which is this book embracing? Is a minor prophet, eight minor prophet, prophet Habakkuk. But when I say minor prophet, it's not a second league prophet. Because he says in chapter 2, verse 4, and this is key phrase, and the righteous will live by his faith. Ve tzadik be'emunato and the righteous, the just, the believer, through this is instrumental bed, through his face, will live. And this is a very powerful statement. And I would like now to impact what does it mean that the righteous live by his face. His face it doesn't mean that he owns faith, because faith is a gift of God, right? But it's a personal face. It is his face, not the face of his father or mother or children or friends or pastor. It is his personal face. And the righteous is really living by faith. You know, this uh, life of the righteous is con uh, contrasted in chapter 2 and also in chapter 1 uh, with the wicked. And you can see how the wicked lives and how the righteous lives. So before I will go to how the righteous really lives, let's see how the wicked live. If you open your Bibles in chapter 2 and we read verse 4, in the beginning you have, See or behold, he is puffed up. He desires are not upright. Who is this who is puffed up? This is the proud. If you will read, for example, New King's Version, it will be, behold, the proud. And the proud is that wicked. It's that Babylonian or Babylonians who are coming, described in chapter 1 and then with more details in chapter 2. You know what is interesting? In this chapter, uh, chapter 2, about the righteous is practically only one sentence, and the righteous will live by his faith. But do you know how much you have about the wicked? The rest of the chapter. <laughs> you know, the righteous has a um, simple, beautiful life. The wicked need to exploit 
in order to have some kind of his happiness, and his very questionable happiness for only for some times, he needs to live on the account of the other. And you read that this wicked, um, uh, this proud, is arrogant, and you will read in that chapter of, um, five woes, and I will not go through it, but it's full of selfishness. Yes, it's about I and me and mine. It's about me. It's egocentric selfishness. Then you have that this person is arrogant, is greedy, and it's stated that he's greedy as the grave, never satisfied. It's uh, uh, exploiting others. It's um, um, uh, coveting. It's plotting. It's even killing others, murdering others in order to have his joy. He is drinking too much, and uh, he gives the drink to others in order to gaze upon their nakedness. You know, we can speak about pornography and many other stuff. You know, nothing new today what is not already described here. This is maybe today more sophisticated and more hidden, but this is the wicked. The wicked is living for his own goals. It is also stated in chapter 1 that the wicked is a law for himself. Everything is self-centered. But in the contrast to this um, arrogant, to this proud, to the wicked, is the righteous. And the righteous live by his faith. What does it mean? What is faith? If I would say it simply, faith is trust. Trust in what? Of course, faith is trust in God. And how you can trust God? It is not magical when people say, well, I trust God. And usually what they mean, oh, he will somehow miraculously protect me. He will do something when I am in troubles, he will come to my help. And many people are using God, faith in God as an amulet, you know, as a magic touch, as, as a special charm. You pronounce the name of God and everything will be different. No, no, this is not how the righteous lives. How the righteous lives? By faith, by trust. By trusting God, what does it mean? By trusting what he says. Amen? It's so simple. It's so transparent. There is no sophistication here. The righteous live by trusting God, by taking seriously his word. You know, uh, it was stated that I, uh, I have five children. When my children were small, I took them, for example, on the piano or on the refrigerator, and then I made uh, two, three steps back and said, jump. Did they jump? Yeah. Of course, without any thinking. Why they were jumping? Because they knew me, and they trusted my word. I said, jump, and then... I will be here, I will embrace you. So they jumped without any hesitation. And this is faith. Faith is trusting God, trusting his word. And you know that his word is trustworthy, amen? You know, in Hebrew, 
the word for uh, word is davar. And davar is not only like uh, what you say, but davar is something very tangible. It can be even a thing. It's something concrete. Why it is so concrete? Because as Psalm is saying, when God speaks, something is happening, right? It's not only a noise like our words. When God spoke, it came to be. When he commanded, it stood firm. It's a word of the creator. It's the word of the redeemer. This is why we can have the full assurance of salvation. Because God is saying so, it is so. Jeremiah says uh, three things, that the word of God is like a fire, burning. And when you receive the word of God, it transforms you, changes you. It's a burning fire in you. But the word of God is not only fire, it's also a hammer. Because all our theories and logic and um, beautiful things of excuses are destroyed. But the word of God is not only fire and hammer, it's also a nurturing force. It's giving us life. It satisfies, it comforts, it encourages, it fills, it nurtures. And Apostle Paul is saying that the word of God is even like a sword double-edged sword, which penetrates even our feelings and our thoughts, our motives. Everything is open to the Word of God. Balaam, uh, Prophet Balaam says that God is not like a man to lie. When he says something, it will be fulfilled. It will happen. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So my word that goes from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. So no wonder that Jesus said, you know, until heaven and earth disappear, not a letter or a stroke from my word will by any means disappear until everything is accomplished. So God's word is something certain. And let me tell you that the righteous live by the word of God, by God's promise. So the righteous is not living by sight, by vision, by miracles. This is what many people would like to have, plenty of signs and wonders, and mighty um, bombastic actions, and then they will follow and, and, and worship God. No, the righteous is not living by miracles, is not living by signs, not by dreams, not by visions, not by scientific proofs. But the righteous live by what? By the word, by the word of God, by the promises of God. Is it easy? Is it simple? It looks like, but if you look to your life, you know that sometimes, and uh, sometimes it's maybe too often, <laughs> you are not trusting the Lord as you should. 
You know, uh, the prophet Habakkuk, he had a hard time to believe God. Why? Because there was plenty of injustice around him. People were exploiting in the church, in Israel, in Jerusalem. There was everything upside down. The law was not respected. The priest was put down. Everything uh, from the righteous perspective was disappearing. And the wickedness was there. So he was crying and saying, How long, O Lord, I have to cry for help? And you do not listen. And then, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? The wicked are um, uh, ruling over the righteous. So, Lord, why? And God is responding, but he cannot believe it. I, I cannot go into the details because of time. But then he, he even more complaining. You know, he's uh, frustrated with God. He's then not only disappointed by him, he's completely down in his life. He's in despair. And then why he's in despair? Because the main problem for Habakkuk is in the midst of all these terrible things that God is silent. And if you do not struggle with God silent, so you don't know what is real life. So you are probably living in a chimer somewhere, but the real life brings these terrible issues. God, why are you silent? The book of Psalms, you cannot understand the book of Psalms unless you understand that there are cries to God because God is silent. The book of Job is the same. The Psalm 73, it's all about this cry. God, you promised, you said. And, and uh, where are these actions? Where are these actions? But God, to that frustrated, uh, you know, disappointed prophet who is in despair, who is completely down, who looks around himself and sees only problems and, and problems, and when he's depressed, God is telling him in chapter 2, um, verse 2, well, wait, wait for my revelation. And the word revelation is twice there. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. And here is this art of trusting the Lord. God said so, but there is delay and delay and delay and you wait when you need to wait patiently wait patiently and god is saying yes wait wait patiently for it it will certainly come and in one time it will not delay and in that setting you have now that statement the wicked lives by his proud, but the righteous live 
by his faith. He lives by the word of God, by the promise of God. Yes, um, as I told you, the book starts with these big disappointments. Uh, when prophet is uh, giving um, big question marks um, and is asking God, why? Why is going on? Why are you not intervening? You are not doing something. And uh, God is saying, well, you know, the righteous person waits. And we hate waiting, right? At least I hate waiting. I like everything instantaneous. You know, we, we like movies, right? And in movie, everything happens in 60 minutes or in 90 minutes. You have so many actions. We want uh, instantaneous food, everything right now. We lost patience. But God is saying, wait. We are Seventh-day Adventists, right? We are waiting for the promise of Jesus that he will come again. And he will come because he promised, because he said so. It is not because of the miracles, because of the fantastic things of dreams and signs and wonders and proofs and evidences. He will come because he promised. And this is how the righteous, how we all seminarians as a seminary family live. We live by the promises of God. We stand on these promises. You know, yes, when the prophet is looking around himself, he sees plenty of issues and problems. And at the end, he looks down. Disappointed, disappointed with God and God is saying, well, you know, there is a solution. Trust me. I have my word and I gave my word and it will happen. It will take some time, but it will happen. Trust me. So at the end in chapter 3, the prophet is now breaking in different mode. What is it? He's looking up. No more down looking up in prayer. And he's saying uh, very beautifully, right in the beginning of that prayer in, uh, in chapter 3, Yes, Lord, I have heard about you. I have heard about your fame. What is the fame of God? Well, plenty of great things, yeah, right? He's our creator. He opened the Red Sea. He defeated Egyptian army. He helped God's people to go from slavery to freedom. He died for us. He redeemed us. Yes, Lord, I have heard of your fame and stand in awe of your mighty deeds. Yes, the more we recall how God is good, and this is very important, for us to recall because in the time of troubles we need to remember God's goodness to us God's faithfulness because when we look back and see how God was leading God's people and how he led us this will give us hope and trust in him that he will lead us now and in the future also 
So um, uh, remembering the past is a safeguard for the future. And he said, yes, Lord, I know your fame. You are famous. You did so many things. But, Lord, yes, I stand in awe before you. It's, it's mighty, it's strong, but renew, please, renew these mighty acts today. And this is, we are crying also to the Lord, right? Yes, renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known in your rest. Remember mercy. Lord, show us this miracle once again. Intervene. Don't be like far away, even though you are here. But, but we want to see tangibly your presence. As you did in the past, do it in the presence. Renew them in our days. And then he goes through the whole a plethora of events. Uh, he shows how God led Israel, his people, out of Egypt, out of slavery. How he opened the Red Sea. How he opened even the River Jordan. And then what happened? God gave victories, and even he was able to stop the sun and moon. So God, do it again in our days. Don't be silent. Speak. And God is coming and saying, but the righteous lives by his faith, by trusting, by waiting, and waiting, and waiting patiently. So at the end of the whole prayer, He's saying, yes, my heart, verse 16, and my heart pounded. When, when we see the God's glory, oh, yes, our heart is pounding. But maybe even the disease comes, decay crept in my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of um, your intervention. This is this yet. In spite of everything, yet I will trust the Lord. I will wait patiently. I will trust no matter what. And then he continues, though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no grapes on the wine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet, nevertheless, in spite of everything, in spite that there is a drought, there are no cattle, no harvest, no fruit, know your visible presence, I still will trust you. But he's not now, now saying at the end, I will trust you, Lord. What he's saying? Look to verse 18. Yet, nevertheless, I will rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Because this God is the creator God. He's God who intervenes. He's God of the past, of the present, and the future. This God is the savior God, the redeemer God. This is why 
in spite of everything, I can rejoice in the Lord. Wow, in the midst of calamities, in the midst of unanswered prayers, in the midst of uh, lingering and delays, this is the faith where the righteous believes. The righteous takes God's word firmly, patiently waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. Why we can do it? Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. The strength is not coming from us, from our focus, from our prayers, from, um, from our studies, um, uh, from our achievements. No, our strength comes from the Lord. This is the only source. And we know God, we know uh, Him only through His Word. So we do not live by visions and dreams and miracles and signs and proofs by and evidences. We are living by the promises of God, by the Word of God. We are trusting Him, trusting His Word. This is why we can, at the end, smile. We can rejoice. We can go forward. Why? Because He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Paul says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me, enables me. And what is interesting is that at the end, the book ends with a very strange note for the director of the music on my stringed instruments. Why this strange ending? Because this, what we just studied, this should be our song. We need to take the harp and lyre and sing this trust in the Lord. We should be not like this small boy who was in the church, and you've definitely heard that this story, but it's good to, to end with that. And when the small boy was in the church and everybody in the church told him, you have to sit down, you cannot move, you have to listen. And he was sitting all the time, uh, one hour and second hour, not movement. He was very unhappy, very unhappy, so completely sad. And then finally was a break, so he went out and outside he saw uh, sunshine and birds, they were flying, happy. They saw um, uh, uh, butterflies uh, moving, the frog jumping, um, uh, dogs were barking, and he was walking more and more, and he saw that everything around him is happy. And he said, but I am so unhappy. And then he, he was going a little bit farther, and he saw a donkey. And you know how the donkey looks, right? Very sad, sober. Serious, very serious. And he now is coming to that donkey. Look at this donkey and says, Oh, now I know 
you must have the same religion as I have. Our religion is different. We are trusting the Lord. We are standing on the promises of God. And we will sing that song right now, standing on the promises of God. Remember, there is a big contrast between the wicked and the righteous. Wicked has to exploit others. Plenty, plenty of false amusements. Plenty, but no satisfaction. But in the Lord, we have everything. But in Him, we have everything because of His davar, because of His word, because of His promises. And may God bless us that we will find in the Lord our strengths. Then in spite of everything, in spite of the silence of God, we can trust Him. We stand on His promises and patiently waiting for His visible second coming. God bless you. Amen.